looking at a, t- a message titled, Why Not Have the Best? Why Not Have the Best? And of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ being the best. Why is that the case? Why is that the Christian argument? What makes us different when it comes to what it is that we believe in? What we believe is not uh, the best because we believe in it. If we believe in it or not, it's the best because it's biblically accurate and true that this is what God has said. The decision for you to believe what God has said is up to you and I. We make that decision to obey him or not. God's word is true. It's eternal. It's forever lasting. And nothing will ever change that. But in this, as you've been learning in the book of Hebrews, that Christ is better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than the first covenant. And you say, well, that's a huge statement. But that's all the argument even from the Old Testament. So Hebrews chapter 9, I'll begin in verse 11. If you'll pick it up in verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse cleanse yourselves in conscience. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us out of your word this night. And Lord, we also ask you, we... Uh, ask of you now to not only be present, we ask you to receive our thanks, Lord. I know for some this seems trivial, but thank you for the rain today. This is Southern California. We live in a desert, so this is beautiful. And God, we just pray that you'd bring more, and it's a sign of blessing. And so, Lord, thank you for having mercy upon us. We ask you, Lord God, to heal our hearts, heal our lives, those that we know, so many suffering of ailments and sicknesses, diseases and cancer and so much. Lord, you know there's those that we have in our mind even now as a staff that uh, they're in great hurt and great pain that you'd bless them this night. If you're you're not healing them tonight, we pray that you'd take them home tonight. Lord, it's it's that serious uh, for some of them and we say serious and yet for the believer, uh, they're they're on the brink of sheer joy. As the outward man perishes, their inward man is about to be radically renewed. So, Father, prepare us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. And as we look to this study tonight, I'm going to ask you to to pay attention in the the sense that uh, I'm going to give you a string of verses as we come to the conclusion of this message tonight, all for this reason. That when we make a statement like the title is, uh, why not have the best? You do know everybody, right? But just for the record, we're not talking about having a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. I'm not interested in you having a sailboat or a spaceship or whatever. I don't know what you can, I don't know what the status thing is these days. Uh, I'm not talking about that. And, uh, you know, in the olden days, it would, it would be something like, you know, be a millionaire. But isn't, that's somewhat of a joke these days, I guess. 
right? Uh, if you can find a shack to buy, it's probably a million dollars. <laughs> I'm not talking about earthly stuff. But in life, we have this tendency of, well, it's the best. Or maybe you can hear that guy in Jurassic Park when he would say, spared no expense. And there's some sort of an announcement that we've gone all out to bring you this. And it's supposed to mean something. We understand that in life. We hear about it in life. I just want you to know that God has done it in reality. The God of the Bible has provided for all of us his very best for our souls, for forgiveness, for grace, for love, for mercy, for meaning, for purpose. I mean, I, I actually mean this. It doesn't get better than this if you're willing to accept his message. You say, Jack, I thought there would be more. No, no, no. There's nothing more than this. But for those of us who have opened up our hearts to receive that message, we don't need anything more. It's enough. He's enough. And now we're waiting. We're in a state of active waiting. We are active about our Father's business, but we can't wait to see him. And that's all because God has provided you and I the best. The best in what he has shown us in Scripture. And so, I want you to think about this for a moment and focus on this if you would. Number one, the best in this sense that there is the evidence of creation that God has provided for us everywhere. You need to stop and pause and think about that. The evidence of, listen, I'll make it as, 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 as gentle as possible for, for those that might be offended with the thought of an all powerful creator God that he has left us so to speak breadcrumbs for us to find the way even if we just look at nature maybe you don't own a bible Romans chapter 1 talks about that that there are those who don't even have access to the word of God but God has revealed himself to them who've never heard the word by his creation so that they are without excuse because he has exposed his reality to them and even the Godhead. Did you know that? The person running around in the rainforest of South America may not own a Bible, may never have heard from a missionary, but the Bible says in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself to that individual. Think about it. He's running around with a spear and he's got his little thong underwear thing on. That's He's got a hut. They have a campfire. They have a tribe. And you might say, well, you know, look at those backward people. I don't know if I'd be so quick to say that. They're living in peace. The guy owns his hut. <laughs> it's, his, it's his hut. It's not the bank's hut. That's his hut. It's his own spear. Life's good. But according to the scripture, God is speaking to him. Isn't that amazing? Creation is an evidence of God's existence. And then secondly, I want you to think about this, and that there is a marvel if we just open our eyes to the fact of our existence, our very being. It's a marvel. We take that for granted these days. 
We are so overstimulated that we have become a people hard to impress. And now, you know, you used to go to a movie. <laughs> uh, it used to be movies were in black and white. I guess before, that, before my time, they were movies and nobody even talked. They were silent. You had to read. That's when people could read. <laughs> you go to the movies and you would read. And then they came out to, with talkies and they were black and white and... And then that's not enough. So now, recently, we went to go see some movie. It was so uneventful for me. I can't even remember what the movie was. And we had to put on 3D glasses. And uh, to be honest with you, it was like, what? I don't, it's, I don't get it. Why? Because we got to have something more. Got to have something that's more thrilling. You know what? We need to slow down and pause and ponder and, and contemplate the fact that uh, we've been created for a purpose. The evidence is there. But we need to ask what somebody would say is a, a philosophical thought. I think it's a God thought. What's the meaning to life? Why am I here? What's the purpose of it all? Why do I exist? And so the Bible is making it, I think, very, very clear that before us, there is a love communicated in and through Jesus Christ that if we had just slow down, here in Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14, we would get it. One final uh, statement before we dive into the first point, and it's this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Look at this. This is an awesome verse. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink. Think about this. Paul writes that to a group of people who they were thinking... That if you eat this, you'll be righteous. Or if you do not eat this, you'll be righteous. You hear this. Or drink. Or regarding the festival or new moon, a new moon or Sabbaths. High, special, holy days. Verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come. Isn't that what we've been learning on Wednesday nights? That everything of the tabernacle and of the sacrifice and of the showbread and of the menorah and all of it's been this shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ or the substance of it all is speaking about Christ, speaking about the Messiah. It doesn't equate to any salvation regarding special days, dietary rules and regulations, and what you uh, abstain from or what you indulge in, do not, that does not make you righteous. But when Christ is supreme in your life, all those things evaporate because someone greater is now in control of your life. It's not the re- uh, regiment of religious duty. Are you hearing me? It's not, the, it's not do these five things and you'll get your next step up. You move to a different category and you get a blue patch or whatever it is. And you're one of the higher ranking members of our church if you achieve these works. Friends, that is literally destructive abuse when it comes to knowing God. It doesn't work that way. The substance is Christ, and the intimacy has got to be Jesus, not rules and regulations. We were just talking backstage during worship. Shouldn't be talking during worship, but I was listening to the worship as you were and worshiping as you were, and I made a comment to one of the guys in the back, and I said, 
We can sing like this. We can sing. And, and one minute later, we could be asked, Did, do you remember what you were just singing? No. What was it? I don't know. Or you can make it a love offering to God where it means something. So for those of you who are married, it would be something like, hey, let's just do it, okay? We're married. Let's just, I got to go. Let's do it. I got I to gotta catch a train. Or I don't know. What is that? Is that not mechanics? Is that not duty versus love and romance? You say, why are you bringing this up? Because God, when it comes to our worship, as we talked about last week, God in our worship, it's not duty. Our God is a God that's given us a revelation of himself where there should be an intimacy between you and God, and that is our time with him. That in this world of a husband and a wife, the closest thing that we could ever experience is intimacy. But even intimacy designed by God can be destroyed if it becomes mechanical. And if we do this Christianity and we keep the rules, then it's all going to be fine. And I want you to know that's not how it works. I want to encourage you tonight to have the very best in what God has for us. We start this with verse 11. Why not have the best when God's best is enough? Can you write that down? Number one point in argument is the fact that God's best is enough. Sometimes we use the word enough. That's enough. Or thank you, thank you, that's enough. Like uh, you, you, you've poured enough or you've scooped out enough or we've gone far enough that that's enough. And yet that's a word that I don't want it to sound uh, that way with what we're saying. When, we, when we're talking about God's best being enough, even the word enough's not enough. God's best is overflowing, abounding for your life. Look at verse 11. But Christ, you should circle that, but Christ came as high priest, we've been studying that, of the good things to come with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So church, we learn this in verse 11, this beautiful fact that the Messiah as our high priest is best. We've got the Messiah of the world, according to the Bible, who is our high priest. And by definition, the old covenant, you've been learning this, could not save you, thus we need a Messiah. Think about that. If, if the Old Covenant, the Old Testament could save us in rules and regulations, then why does the Old Testament speak about a Messiah to come? If you and I can get to heaven in our, and by our morality, then there would be no talk of a Messiah having to come and suffer on our behalf. It makes no sense. And yet, Old and New Testament confirm this reality. It's very, very important. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, just the right one. He was enough. Meaning this, church, there's nobody, there's nothing to add on to Jesus in your life. Nothing. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's a huge statement. This statement about him, 
uh, being higher than the heavens, has become higher than the heavens, speaks of Jesus' humanity. This is a declaration of his deity. He came from heaven to earth, and in that human skin that he possessed, his body, resurrected from the dead, has become higher than the heavens. Meaning that tonight, at the right hand of God the Father, is Christ the Son, listen to this, in a glorified human body. Jesus rose from the dead and left an empty tomb, my friends. The tomb was emptied out on that Sunday morning. For the first time, man had been resurrected from the dead, and that forerunner is not only our Lord and Savior, but Jesus Christ is what we would say the prototype for all those who would trust and believe in him. Because, listen, Christ has risen from the dead. He's the guarantee that you too will be resurrected from the dead. It has to happen. You say, well, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, skeptical about that. doesn't matter. It's going to happen. I mean, I hope it happens with you being with us. But because Christ has risen, the guarantee of you being resurrected from the dead as a believer is assured by Jesus Christ. And I just, I just marvel at this, that with all that's going on in the world and all that has gone on in the world for thousands of years, we've got the greatest message in the universe. And we sometimes, you know, we're not so, so vocal about it. If we really understood it, we'd be tackling people to tell them. We'd be jumping on them, sitting on their chest and grabbing their ears and telling them, you know, God loves you. No, don't do that, everybody. But... But he's enough, and he's the best. He's the Messiah. He's the high priest. He's the sacrifice. He's everything. There's a lot of uh, clips going on. I've noticed on my own phone, the AI, whatever it's doing, have you noticed this? That if you have Instagram, for example, or YouTube, I've watched how the powers that be have been tampering with my personal system. And what I mean by that is this. All of a sudden, there's all of these Islamic apologists talking about how much they love Jesus. Has this been popping up on your phones? It's been popping up on mine. And um, these arguments, listen to this uh, uh, imam talk about how great Jesus is. And they're waxing on, and you listen. And if you don't know your stuff, if you don't know your Bible... You're being deceived right now at this hour by powers that are beyond us in the way of technology. These guys are saying everything you say. Exact same words. But they got a different Jesus. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus is a great prophet. That's an insult to Almighty God. Jesus is not a great prophet. Oh, he highly regarded, such a great prophet. Hey, Isaiah was a great prophet. Ezekiel was a great prophet. Jeremiah was a great prophet. Right? Daniel was a great prophet. If you don't know what you're worshiping or who you're worshiping, you're going to say, isn't that nice? Listen to that. It, there's a massive thing happening right now. Maybe it's just my phone. But it's popping up everywhere, and it's an act of deception. When somebody announces, oh, we believe Jesus is a great prophet. He's God, dear friends, in the Bible. He's revealed as God in human skin. 
And by the way, when you have a great prophet, you can have another great prophet. But watch out. Be careful, everybody. The Bible is very clear about this. The Messiah is our high priest. No matter what you believe in outside of Christianity, I want to ask you, what are you doing about your sin? Who's your high priest? Who's, who's making offering for your sins? Without Jesus, you've got nobody. No, I've got this person. I've got this, uh, this priest, this pastor, this pope, this whatever. You've got nothing. No, I'm saying I'm not being mean. I'm telling you right now, straight up, I'm being nice with you. It's Christ alone. According to the ancient scriptures and the, and, the Old, and the New Testament, you plug those things together and they're inseparably perfect to announce there's one. And he's the high priest. He's not a high priest. He's the high priest. And man, when we pray to, when we pray in his name, you can rest assured, as we're learning on Sundays in the book of Romans, God's listening. Christ is interceding for us, the Bible says, as with the Holy Spirit. Every day, all the time, without end. Secondly, we see that the best is all we've ever needed, Christ being the best. It says there in the middle part of verse 11, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. I love that. We've been learning all about the earthly tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness, the cherubim, the laver, the basin, all of that stuff. Hebrews has been teaching us. Now, it's behind us because that was all a bunch of types and symbols pointing to the reality, the great reality in heaven above. And the Bible is announcing to us that Christ being enough, that it's of a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, meaning, as we'll see, it's not of this world. And I'm very, very glad about that. The word greater, it's a great, it's a great word. Greater, it means abundant. Abundant as in abounding. All the more greater, the word means, being the absolute. So when we talk about greater, it's not greater among others. Maybe something greater will come along. It's the abounding. It's the overflowing. The fact that Jesus Christ meets all of the requirements of who the Messiah is, that truth, that reality is abounding. In other words, there's overwhelming evidence that he is who he says he was and is. And that as high priest, as our sacrifice, and as our Messiah, he is everything that we've ever needed. And something's happening in our world today right now. This is a golden moment, I believe, for the Christian who's willing to go, um, I'll just, uh, to go fishing. Aren't we supposed to be fishers of men? And I, I would say this, it's, and again, today I was on the phone talking with, uh, to a brother in Israel, and he even said it. He said, in our country, he said, we have been humbled, and many people are searching and asking questions about Messiah, about Jesus. And the, Exactly. Out of tragedy, God gets our attention. And we don't know what's, you know, we don't know what's going to have to be used to get America's attention. Is it 
Is it the economy? Is it violence? Is it persecution? I don't know, and I don't even care, honestly. I just don't care anymore about that stuff. Because if the end result is going to be that if if the economy collapses or if there's an earthquake, oh my goodness, have you seen what's going... Sorry, I'm in a rabbit hole. Have you been watching? I, I, was, I was studying today, and, and, and I couldn't help, but I, I had my device set up because I'm watching Iceland shaking. Have you seen what's going on? They had 800 earthquakes in a couple of hours. And, and totally what? This week, I think they've had something, I, I may be wrong, but there's something like 4,000 earthquakes in a week. And people are evacuating, and the ground has been opening up, and there's been some vents now where there's people... Listen, there was a reporter saying where he was standing that you could feel the ground rumbling, and they were using devices to listen, and they concluded that there's an underground river of magma flowing, and you can feel it beneath your feet. And people are saying, next flight out. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? It's a, go look at it later. Don't look at it now. Go look at it later. It's amazing. We should, we should have a missions trip to Iceland right now. Why? Because when the ground moves under your feet and with what's happening there, your world gets real small real quick. And things get real simple real quick. I don't know where you're at today, but I stepped outside because it started raining. For those who are watching right now, uh, you know, you might live in some tropical island or somewhere where, please, you know, w- w- no more rain. When we see a cloud, we get excited. <laughs> and look at me, I'm wearing a sweater. I, it's been, it's, it takes years for me to get a chance to wear a sweater. It's like 60 degrees outside. <laughs> That's why, look, many of you are not here tonight at church. You're watching online, you weaklings. <laughs> oh, but it rained. Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody watching right now saw all of us go up? Go up? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just joking. Just kidding. But I went outside and I'm looking up and the rain is hitting me in the face. And, uh, and I'm just saying, God, you're amazing. God, thank I actually just, God, thank you for every single drop. Okay? And then what? And then... I had my eyes closed, and there was this, there was this like, something passed in front of me. Uh, I didn't know what that was, and as, as soon as I opened my eyes, there was the clap of thunder, and I ran in the house just to make sure that, make sure that the house was okay. And um, you know what? One flash of lightning, and a second later, that big kaboom hits, and you go from, you know, whatever, six feet tall to three inches tall. You get humbled really fast. Things get real simple real quick. And the argument is this, that he is greater and that he is perfect because... The tabernacle that he speaks of, the dwelling place of God, is not crafted by human hands. That you build a building, and finally we've got our building. 
well, okay, I get it. We have our building. I get it. But that's all it is. The God of all intimacy is the God that wants to know you personally and interact with you personally. And I wonder, you know, sometimes that's why people will seek to religionize true Christianity. Make it a structure or make it an external thing that you can manage. How can you manage the eternal God? He's spirit. He's not a human. For your sins to be forgiven and mine to be forgiven, he came to earth and became a human. That's how, not a, that's how much not a human he is. God, in his existence, the Bible says, is spirit. But Christ came to communicate to us salvation, and he took upon himself the form of a human. That is awesome. Does that make you feel like three inches tall? Absolutely, and it should. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, we studied this months ago, says, Now this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, listen to this, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, not man. He's talking about the one in heaven, not on earth. And then finally, church, in verse 11, it's this, that there's the realization of the ages is enough. The realization of the ages, it's enough. See, what do you mean by that? Go back as far as you can in time. Research, go back, dig. Dig in the books, dig in the ground. And the biblical account for not only Christ, but for creation... And redemption for us is there. God has made it clear. In verse 11 it says, not made, that, with, that is, uh, you can put in your margins, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation, not of this world. God has revealed himself in an absolute way, the transcendency of Christ, that he speaks and he reveals and he makes known himself to you and this is, as Tozer puts it, personality, reaching out to personality. You remember the painting? It's Da Vinci, right? Is it uh, Michelangelo? Who, who did the... Just, that's it, M Michelangelo. It's, you know, you, I, I heard somebody say Mike Angelo. It's not, it's Michelangelo. Can you say it? It's Michelangelo. It's one word. It's not Michelangelo. He's not, he's not from New York. <laughs> you know, the Michelangelo guy. It's Michelangelo. You have to kind of, has to roll off there. Do you remember where in the painting, God, who's reaching out, which by the way, is, I'm going to blow this because I'm not an a art critic, but I'll, I do remember this about that painting is that you see God in the heavens and he's holding Eve in his left arm and she's not yet she's not yet in existence she doesn't exist yet 
Adam is not even alive in the painting. Did you know that? Adam's hand is lifeless, stretched out like this. God's hand is active and alive like this. And you see life, he's touching, Adam's becoming life. But in the mind of God, unknown to Adam, he has Eve in the waiting. And he's going to bring her forth. It's absolutely stunning. It's absolutely awesome. If, if, if God communicates that message to us, and if God inspires artists like that and designers like that, then how incredibly, can I put this this way, how incredibly soul romantic is your God for you? Amen. That he, he waits and he waits and he waits, sometimes too long he waits to meet you in the morning or at night alone, TV off, kids to bed, everything's off, and you go into the living room or you go sit out in the backyard and you're alone with him. He's waiting. That shouldn't be foreign to us. It's not foreign to us. You hear him saying that. To, I believe every believer hears him saying that. Come, come. But isn't it hard to do? It's a struggle, isn't it? Your flesh is in resistance. But throughout all of the ages, I'm going to give you a, a, a string of verses that I hope has a greater application than just this study tonight. In fact, I, I intend on using some of these verses tomorrow. Our God who is enough, Jesus Christ is enough. Listen, Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel. My called, I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. He's saying I'm enough. Isaiah 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there's no God. You know what that means? It means he's enough. Isaiah 41, verse 4, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, I am the first and I am with the last. I am he. Friends, he's enough. You're not going to find this kind of talk anywhere else. I just signed up for the New Age magazine. Good luck. You're not going to find this stuff. And if you do find this stuff, they're going to tell you that that's you. And boy, is that a disappointment. <laughs> They'll tell you, you're the first and the last. Yeah, right on. Of what? Well, don't ask those kinds of questions. You just have to imagine. Well, this is no imagination. This is the eternal God revealing himself to mankind. He's enough. Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. And understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. It doesn't mean he's going to end. It means that he has no beginning and no ending. He's enough. Revelation 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. By the way, that's the Greek word of what we've been reading in the Hebrew language in these Isaiah passages. 
The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. He's enough. He's enough. Revelation 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. He's enough. He's all you need. Revelation 1, verse 11. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's enough. By the way, if you read that in your Bible, it's red letters. It's Jesus speaking. Revelation 21, verse 6. Again, Jesus speaks. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's enough. Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. By the way, that verse is so powerful that some of your Bible publishers who are woke didn't put it in your Bible. You should check and see if it's in your Bible. It's not in everybody's Bible. There are some pretty pagan publishers of Bibles. But that, listen, that's a beautiful sight I'm looking at right now. All of you putting your head down, looking around. Go, go, to, go to the back of your Bible, Revelation twenty two thirteen, and if it doesn't say that, buy a new Bible. Because it was produced, if it's missing, it was produced by a publisher that deleted it. Not all of your Bibles have it. 22.13. Let's keep going. You can stay awake all night figuring that one out. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's verse 17. Look at verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. That verse right there tells you the God of the Old Testament, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was, who is, who is to come, the Almighty, died and rose again from the dead. You ever heard of a rumor of that happening to somebody? (laughs) Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. You can just, that's like, if God could drop a mic, that's the mic drop of all time. (laughs) I'm the eternal God. I'm, I'm all that you need. I'm enough. And oh, by the way, I came, I died, I rose again from the dead. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I'm the eternal God. That's him. He's enough. Who gets to say this but us? And yet notice what we're doing. We're reading the same, same God in the Old and New Testament right here, right now. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest 
in the flesh. Psalm 22, 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. We studied that on Romans on Sunday. Zechariah 13. Are you guys okay? Are you guys awake? Zechariah 13, 6. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. It's a messianic statement. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I'm eternal. John 8, 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Titus 2, verse 10. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. I thought Jesus Christ was the Savior. Right? Are you listening, class? We just read Isaiah that there's one Savior, there's no other, I'm the only God. The Bible says Jesus is Savior. Here's my favorite. I love this. Is, this I love this. Titus 2, verse 13. Looking... For the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, that's all in one. John chapter, we're almost done. We'll make it. You'll be out here on time. John 10, 32. Jesus answered them, many good works I've shown you from my Father. For which of of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. They understood exactly what he was saying, but they didn't like what he was saying. So they wanted to kill him. Hosea 13, verse 4. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's going to be a blast. Oh my goodness. To God our Savior who alone is wise. (laughs) 1 Timothy 4.10 For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who who believe. Isaiah 45, 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. And a just God and Savior, there is none beside me. Isaiah 43, 11. I, even I, am the Lord... Look at that. That's Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And besides me, there is no Savior. Psalm 68, 4. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. You know this one. Everybody knows this one. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven? Or descended, 
Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in the garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? What a huge, huge statement. Ephesians 4, 9. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Speaking of Christ. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. That's an awesome statement because you can't have two saviors. You can only have one. You can only have one redeemer, not two. And God is saying, I am not going to share that with anybody else, which means he is himself self-contained. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is one God. Incredible. Awesome. The, the, The Trinitarian existence of the fact that we believe in one God who manifests himself in three persons. Remarkable and awesome. The Son of God came to relate to us. The Holy Spirit resurrected Christ from the dead to the glory of God the Father. Beautiful. Psalm 2, 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice uh, with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Luke 1, verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus or Joshua. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. That's a title of God. Uh, Philippians 2.10. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will not perish but Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Philippians 3.20. I'm going quicker because we're going to end on time. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That sounds like the Old Testament, doesn't it? Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the preeminent one, or the only begotten one. 
Verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist or all things are glued together. John 4, 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, speaking of Jesus, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world world. Hebrews 1 verse 8. But to the Son, he says, that that is the Father. So let me read that again. But to the Son, the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That is a radical statement. Daniel 7 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near to me or near uh, before him. Then to him was given dominion, listen, and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Speaking about Christ as Messiah. Second Peter, we're almost done. You okay? Yeah. Are you guys being abused right now? <laughs> Second Peter 1.11, for so an inheritance will be, or an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, 1. the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, that is the father of time. He's, he's, Jesus is father of time, the governor of time. Prince of peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of who? David. David. And over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him, the king of the Jews. Matthew 20, verse 30. And behold, two blind men were sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They knew who he was. They were blind, but they could see. (laughs) Revelation 3, 7. 
And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Revelation 5, verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. If you keep reading, it's Jesus. Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is enough. Lord, Lord, tonight, almighty God. Church, let's stand. Let's lift our hands in, in, in prayer to him. Father, thank you for sending us your son, the manifestation of God eternal in human skin. From old to New Testament, from prophet to apostle, Christ is enough. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't send an angel to communicate, the, to communicate the gospel to us. Thank you that you didn't send an angel to die on the cross for us. That wouldn't have worked. Thank you for doing it yourself for us. That Lord God, in Jesus' name, every single one of us listening right now, believer or unbeliever, would encounter you right now. For the believer, we would say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. And for the non-believer, you would say today, tonight, wherever you are in the world, right now, you would say, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He died for you, my friend. He rose again from the grave. He's the Messiah of the world. He's coming back. But before he does, and before you die, you must accept him now. While you are conscious, while you are able, while you have your faculties to willfully present yourself to him in love and adoration, you must will that. You must say goodbye to yourself, so to speak, and yes to him. You must say to yourself, take the back seat. I'm giving the front seat to Christ. You must say to yourself, I have sinned against Almighty God. And I come with all of my sins. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean, Messiah. And make me new. Why, my friends, would you do that? Because Jesus is enough. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.